Hebrews chapter 13 is where we're going to take our text from. Specifically, we're going to focus in on verses 15 and 16, and we're going to try to put that in context during the course of the message. But Hebrews 13, starting at verse 15, says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful for this day and the opportunity that we have. Lord, I ask that you would give me the uh, mental clarity and the physical strength to uh, declare your word with accuracy and that I would just lay down the burden of the text before the, your people and that they would pick it up, Lord, and that we would seek to honor and glorify and, and worship you in all that we do. Lord, please forgive me of my sins, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. What does it mean for a church to worship? We often think of worship as that time of singing praise to God in our song service, but worship is greater than just worship music. Worship is more than the uh, short events we label as worship service, which start at 9.30 and 11.30, right? Praising God in song is worship. Approaching Him in prayer is worship. Even the preaching of His Word is an act of worship. Yet true worship is not limited to any of those activities, or even all of them lumped together collectively into a corporate setting. In his book, the Your Father Loves You, J.I. Packer wrote this. He said, to worship God is to recognize his worth or worthiness, to look Godward, and to acknowledge in all appropriate ways the value of what we see. The Bible calls this activity glorifying God or giving glory to God and views it as the ultimate end and from one point of view, the whole duty of man. As the Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify Him forever. We were made to worship. This is evident from our willingness to recognize the worthiness of many things that we enjoy and to heap praise onto everything that we appreciate, right? People can tell you how great their favorite restaurant is. They can memorize the statistics of their favorite sports teams. Some people can talk passionately about the best brand of dishwasher soap. We can brag on what we like and we can openly encourage others to enjoy it too right up until it's about the Creator God whom we claim to love most. And then for some reason we get lockjaw and can't seem to brag about Him to others. True worship demands, look at verse 15, 
the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. This is what a church, a community of believers gathering to glorify God, this is what a church is called to do. I know I keep giving you different things the church is called to do. Right? Oh, I thought we were called to assemble and yes, to, to worship God by coming together and glorify him and declaring his greatness. That is what we're called to do. Oh, well, I thought the, the ultimate goal of the church was just evangelism. And, and in a sense, yes, but to worship through the act of declaring God's greatness to others with the end that they would see the greatness of God and engage in worship with us. Well, I thought we were to do charitable works. And and yes, verse 16 is going to talk about that. To, To do good and to share is a sacrifice that is well-pleasing to God. It is an act of worship. Every action we take is to be with the goal of glorifying God. It is not just this hour that we call worship service that is the essence of worship. Worship is an unending mission of glorifying God. So that whatever you do, Paul says, whether you're eating or drinking or or whatever you do, even in the most seemingly mundane choices of life, you do all of it to glorify God. Worship is the constant expression of a heart that sees God as glorious. That embraces the truth of Psalm 29 verse 2, give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Now, since this is a series on church and church membership, I want to make sure that you understand how this text in Hebrews is a command to the church. And to do that, I just want to encourage you to to engage in your sanctified imagination for a moment. Imagine that you are a first century Jewish believer, right? You've, You've heard the wonderful works of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You've believed that Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. You've repented of your sins. You've trusted Jesus alone for righteousness, and you have joined yourself with a community of believers known as a church. And as the apostles continue teaching and preaching, you learn how Jesus has fulfilled all of the Old Testament pictures and promises, and that worship of God is done through Jesus in the church. The book of Hebrews is written to that kind of person. And for certain, the book does explain what a church is to believe and how a church is to behave. Though there, are, there is a decidedly Jewish flavor to the book of Hebrews. You can see still how it addresses life in the church. For example, you see it addressing church leadership actually on either side of our text. Up in verse 7, Right, It says to remember those who rule over you. Down in verse 17, obey those who rule over you. That, that means the context of this is clearly in, the context is clearly churchy, right? And so as a Jewish believer who has been taught to think that worship is connected with that act of bringing sacrifices to the temple, you are now finding that worship belongs in the church. 
You've been taught that bringing an animal sacrifice or the first fruits of your crop was the ultimate act of worship. But now worship, you're being told it's the, well from our text, the sacrifice of praise. It's the fruit of our lips, not just the fruit of our fields. The text this morning is written to assure Jewish believers in the church and the church as a whole that true worship is an act of continual sacrifice to God made possible only by Christ's ultimate sacrifice for us. That's the sentence I'm going to repeat. True worship is an act of continual sacrifice to God made possible only by Christ's ultimate sacrifice for us. Three things I want you to see in this text. First, worship comes through Jesus alone. Second, worship continues every moment. And third, worship calls for God-pleasing sacrifices. So, worship comes through Jesus alone. Maybe the easiest thing we could do when we start at verse 15 is sort of fast forward to the theologically loaded words like sacrifice and praise and start defining and contemplating those things and in the process miss the two most important words of the sentence. By him. In the context, that pronoun him in verse 15. Therefore, by him. It is connected back to Jesus in verse 8, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is connected back to Jesus in verse 12, whose blood sanctifies his people. His blood makes them holy. In verse 13, the writer urges us to go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And now in verse 15, therefore, by him... Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. The him in verse 15 is the Lord Jesus Christ. No worship can please God without coming through Jesus. And by the way, the writer really does mean through Jesus. The word by there is one of the fun Greek prepositions. It's dia, and it means through. So, for example, we bring this into English when we talk about math and geometry. A circle has a diameter. We're measuring the, the dia, the, the distance through the circle. That's what this word dia means. It's through and by. So this passage, as it unfolds, tells us that All worship is worship that we do through Jesus. So you can keep reading in the text and the sacrifice of praise to God must come through Jesus. The giving of thanks to God must come through Jesus. Any doing good, any acts of generosity must be done through Jesus. Every sacrifice that is pleasing to God must be through Jesus. God will not accept, will not be pleased with any worship that is not presented through Jesus. The only way we can approach God in all his holiness is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his son. 
any other attempt to please God, any other attempt to worship God apart from Christ is entirely futile. Isaiah said, all our own righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the eyes of God. Any attempt to worship God outside of the work of Jesus is empty, meaningless religiosity. Such worship isn't isn't worship at all. Worship that's not worship through Jesus is so ineffective, it's not going to make it past the ceiling of this building. It is unacceptable to God. Worship that is not done through Jesus does not please God. And making it louder or incorporating fog machines and laser light shows is not going to make it any more acceptable to God. The writer of Hebrews has been stressing this throughout the whole book of Hebrews. Now you can relax. We're not going to expound the entire book of Hebrews this morning. But just suffice it to say, the, the theme of Hebrews is simply Jesus is better. So written to first century Jews who had put their faith in Jesus, but they were, they were experiencing these temptations of going back to trusting their long-standing traditions for salvation. And the writer of Hebrews walks through all of those treasured Jewish traditions and thoughts one by one and shows Jesus is better. Right? Jesus is better than the prophets because they spoke for God and Jesus speaks as God. Jesus is better than the angels because he's the creator of the angels. He's better than lawgivers like Moses or law keepers like the Pharisees because the whole purpose of the law is to point us to Jesus. Jesus is better, the writer says, than the priests because they were sinful men who, who had to offer sacrifices for their own sin before they could offer a sacrifice for anybody else's sin. And even after that, they had to continually be offering those sacrifices all the time. Where Jesus is the high priest who has sacrificed himself in his perfection once for all, one time for all time. Bringing us to God. The the sacrifice of Jesus is better, he says, than the blood of bulls and goats. Because the blood of bulls and goats could never truly take away sin the way Jesus does. Jesus is better than the tabernacle or the temple because those are merely offered as, as a place where you can come to worship God. But Jesus is God. And when you come to Jesus, you can come to God and worship through him. Mankind's problem has always been that sin has separated us from a holy and just God whose holiness will not abide sin in his presence and whose justice demands the penalty of sin be paid. And the only solution we have to our problem is the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect sinless life on our behalf he satisfied all of god's requirements for our obedience he obeyed for us he took our sin onto himself suffering the anguish and pain and shame of the cross paying the penalty of our sins that we've committed and having 
having died in the place of every believer, three days after he was buried, he rose from the grave proving that his sacrifice was pleasing to God. He defeated death and offers eternal life to all who will repent of their sin and trust in him. And only his broken body and his shed blood is what God finds as an acceptable sacrifice. We have to, in all of our acts of worship, worship through Jesus alone. It's the only way we can approach God. Even even if we had the lofty idea that I want to approach God in order to worship him, you still can only do that through Jesus. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says we have boldness to enter into the holiest, into the very presence of God, but only by the blood of Jesus. So you cannot come to God except by Jesus. Your worship will not be acceptable to God except through Jesus. Even our prayers are offered to God in the name of the Lord Jesus. Y'all, this should go a long way to correct some of the common errors we have about worship. Everything we do in the Christian life as an act of worship must be done through the ultimate work of Jesus Christ and Him alone. There is no room for anybody else. There's no room here for the Virgin Mary or apostles or, you know, some patron saint of lost car keys, right? Everything is by Him. It's through Him. And so not only does that mean Jesus is the the only means to come to God and it excludes any patron saints or priests, it also means Jesus alone is the way we can worship God to the exclusion of even you and me. Worship must be about Him, not us. Listen, I, I, <laughs> I dearly hope that when, we, when you come here and we come together in order to worship, I do hope that it creates some certain feelings within you. Right, That you get a, a feeling of fulfillment, that you get a feeling of confidence, that you get a, a feeling of thankfulness. But do not even for a moment make the mistake of thinking that your feelings about worship are the determining factor of its worthiness. Jesus alone is worthy as the source and the substance of our worship. And who he is and what he has done is true and good and right, and God-honoring, whether you're feeling all mushy inside at that moment or not. Alistair Begg tells a story of visiting a different church, and he went in and he sat down about five minutes before the service was supposed to start, and he's looking up at the big screens, and there's a countdown timers counting down from five minutes to zero, and then the band starts, and the worship leader comes out and yells, Hey, how do y'all feel this morning? And Beg said, that was enough for me. You could have had the benediction right there. It was just so good. How do you feel? Don't ask me 
how I feel about myself. Ask me what I know about God. Ask me what I know about his word because it's the verities of scripture that fuel our hearts and our emotions and lead us on. That is what takes us to worship. Specifically, do you know Jesus? Do you know that his broken body and his shed blood has purchased you access to God? Because without that, when you try to worship, however you feel while you try to worship, Without Jesus, you are attempting to do something that is completely impossible. All worship comes through Jesus alone. Second, worship continues every moment. Verse 15 says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Continually. Not for an hour or so on Sunday morning. My prayer is that when we come together in prayer and praise and preaching, that that is all worship, but that this is not all that worship is. That is, let All of this that we do, be to the glory of God. But let's not think that this is the only way the church glorifies God. The writer of Hebrews here demands worship be done continually. Again, this should correct some of the greatest errors of modern Christianity that we hold about worship. Two errors in particular get corrected by this. The first error is thinking that worship is something that only happens at a specific time or place. You know, it it becomes this, worship is this hour-long event. You could sell tickets to it. You know, it's a spectator sport. I almost imagine a group of judges going around to different churches and evaluating their worship like it was an Olympic figure skating, and they're giving scores. Oh, they... They scored high on the technical merit since all of the required elements were there. But those old hymns are going to cause their artistic impression scores to suffer. Maybe some of y'all are old enough to equate it to the, the rankings on American Bandstand as a better example. Well, Mr. Clark, I would give their worship a 62. I really like the lyrics, but... I had a hard time feeling the vibe and I just couldn't dance to it. In reality, you cannot sit in judgment over a church's worship because worship is not confined to any one specific time and place that you can observe. Worship must be continual, the writer here says it. It's never done. The other major error closely related to the first is thinking that worship exists for the benefit of the congregation. Worship is not something that the church presents to you, nor is worship a kind of entertainment that is presented for you. Worship is not a consumer product. Simply speaking, worship is the act of giving not an act of receiving. Throughout verses 15 and 16, you can look at them. You'll see the words offer and give and do. You will never see the words receive or get. 
Worship is not about what you get from worship. Worship is about what you give to God in worship. This is abundantly clear if you're using your sanctified imagination and put yourself in the sandals of the original audience. Can you imagine any of those first century Jews thinking fondly about all the years that they had come empty-handed to the temple to worship? Would anybody go empty-handed to the temple to worship? No, worship involves sacrifice, right? I mean, can you picture some first century resident of Judea leaving home early in the morning, leading a, a lamb along toward the temple for worship? And when he gets back that night alone, all he has in his hand is the leash, and his wife asks him how worship went, I really doubt that he would have complained, I don't know. As I left, I didn't really feel like I got anything from it. Silly, right? Worship is not about what you get from worship. Worship is about what you give to God in worship. The modern Christian equivalent to this is when someone says that they You know, well, they worship online and they get enough from church services that way. Frankly, I really doubt that you do get enough, but I'm more certain that you didn't give in the process. Or when it's when those people who only attend occasionally or they, you know, skip services and they say, well, I only, well, I only needed that one service. I got enough from that. Well, you, you got enough from it. Y'all, if you leave here with something, turn around and bring it back. True worship is an expression of the heart and hands of a believer who come here with something to give, not just tithes, but friendship and fellowship and and prayer and praise and and participation and an open heart and mind that's willing to learn from God's Word. True worship is coming to give and then give going out in order to give more. Continually offer the sacrifice of praise, the writer says. So if you think of this in the first century Jewish Christians to whom this was written, they were thinking to themselves, look, if if worship is not about taking a lamb to the temple anymore, then how is it that I do worship? What am I supposed to give? How do I worship now? And the answer is so clearly that you worship through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who shed his blood once for all, right? One time for all time. And what you give in worship now, according to the text, is the sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of your lips. You give thanksgiving to his name. You do good and you share. And there's other such sacrifices in which God is well pleased. That is not something that you have to wait for a special season to bring to the temple. These sacrificial acts of worship can and must be done continually. There is never a moment in your Christian life that you're not offering up sacrifices to God. Many of you know what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 12 verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, 
which is your reasonable service, you live as a sacrifice to God. Your life is an act of worship. And when you do that, that does not make you super Christian. He says that is your reasonable service. So the writer of Hebrews says, let us continually offer. Paul says, live as a holy and acceptable sacrifice to God. Worship is not just one moment in time. Worship is a lifestyle. So worship comes through Jesus alone. Worship continues every moment. Third, worship calls for God-pleasing sacrifices. Let's read the text again. Therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifices of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and share for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. I want you to note in verse 16 when the writer uses the word sacrifices, plural, With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. With sacrifices like that, then we know there is more than one kind of sacrifice that is well pleasing to God. And in fact, the writer here in the text presents two well pleasing sacrifices to God. And there may well be more, but he presents two. First, the sacrifice of praise to God in verse 15. He gets descriptive by quoting the prophet Hosea from the Old Testament. In Hosea 14, the prophet Hosea is calling on the nation to repent. And you would expect that Hosea would say, well, you have to repent. Go get your bulls and your goats and bring them in here as a sacrifice and ask God for forgiveness. But here's what Hosea says in Hosea 14, verse 2. He says, to return to the Lord... Take words with you and return to the Lord. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. The words you speak about God are sacrifices that can be pleasing to God. Now you might think, well... But words aren't much of a sacrifice, and you're right. It's not a lot, but it's not nothing. Every word you speak which praises God, which elevates him, lowers you. Elevating the creator is the humbling of creation, right? Your sincere words of praise to God are sacrifices of your own pride. And this is fitting for for the very purpose of what worship is. The the word that the New Testament most often uses for worship is a word that means to, to bow down, to reverence, to kneel, to completely prostrate oneself as if before a king. For believers, this becomes more than just a physical demonstration. Our heads and our hearts bow themselves before God even as we sacrifice our pride and offer words of praise in God-pleasing worship. Since this is an activity we're called to do continually, I think that 
we can take that to mean that God is worthy of our words of worship regardless of the momentary situations in our lives. Whether you are in poverty or experiencing prosperity, God is worthy of your words of worship. Whether you are healthy or whether you're sick, God is worthy of your worship. Whether you're lifting up your heart to him in joy or you're pouring out your soul to him in sadness, God is worthy of your worship. It's the Apostle Paul told the Philippians, whether he's abased or abounding, full or hungry, has plenty or is suffering need, Christ is still his source of strength and he's worthy of our worship. Praising God with your words, continually, in every situation, simply recognizes that the success of your life is less about you and more about him. Well, let's also note when the writer says with such sacrifices, God is well pleased, it certainly implies there, there are things we can do with our words with which God is not going to be well pleased. And we see that in scripture as well. When those Hebrews whom God delivered from Egypt spent their time murmuring instead of praising, right? Complaints, grumbling, murmuring, whining, griping, belly aching. All of those are really an accusation against God's goodness. They are criticisms of how God has expressed his sovereignty and it denies that all he does is for our good and for his glory. Y'all, we have to put those things away. We have to continually offer a sacrifice that is praise to God in every situation. As the Apostle Peter said, proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Your words of worship, praising God's name, is a kind of sacrifice that is well-pleasing to God. But words alone are not enough. The second kind of sacrifice pleasing to God is in verse 16, and it's described as do not forget to do good and to share, or to communicate, if you got the KJV there. There are kinds, there are, There are acts of kindness and generosity which God is pleased to accept as worship. Of course, this is not doing good and sharing with God. Because listen, I've said this before, God does not need what you have. It was his before he gave it to you. This is kindness and sharing that happens Within the church. So get this. There are acts of worship which we could describe as vertical, right? Words of praise that go up toward God. He is pleased with that. And there are acts of worship which are horizontal. You know, kindness and and generosity that goes out from us to the people of God. Not that in doing that we are doing acts of worship toward one another, but that being kind and generous with one another, we're making sacrifices that God says he finds as acceptable worship. It's pleasing to him. 
And so the church's worship is based on how we respond to God and how we respond to one another. Y'all, this is not giving two possible options for God-honoring worship. This is giving us two required acts of worship for pleasing God. Praise towards Him and compassion towards others. The writer has actually been saying this throughout the chapter. You can look up uh, earlier in Hebrews 13, right? Let brotherly love continue. Remember to entertain strangers. Remember prisoners as if you are chained with them. Verse 5, don't be covetous of what others have. Our relationship of how we treat one another is often a reliable indicator of the health of our relationship with God. And these two are always connected to one another. In fact, if your relationship with the people of God is not right, your worship toward God himself can't be right. To prove this, listen to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Right? You cannot offer pleasing worship to the Father if you are harboring ill will towards the Father's children. When verse 16 says, do not forget, it's not suggesting that there's this possibility that this is going to slip your mind. The word forget there in the original language carries the idea of neglect. Some translations put it that way. Do not neglect to do good and to share. It seems to imply that early on, some of these Jewish Christians were neglecting the simple kindness and generosity that should go towards others and thinking that in the process they could still find a way of bringing sacrifices acceptable to God. You can't do it. Oh. <laughs> we have a wrap up. When the, when, the when the Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. It's simply stating the biblical truth that your supreme purpose is worship. The church's collective purpose is worship. The ultimate joy that we'll find in this life and in eternal life is worshiping God. And yet, There is only one way for this to happen. It's by him. It's by Jesus as the only acceptable means of worship. And so to make this practical, there are some of us here today that the very first step of worshiping God is repenting of your sins and trusting in the salvation God has provided through Jesus Christ, his son. You need... To do this so desperately, you come here and you join in prayer and in song and, and listening to the preaching of His Word and presume to worship God without submitting your life to Jesus, the Son of God. 
you may have fooled yourself into thinking God is going to accept this as worship, but worship comes through Jesus alone. Only Jesus has pleased God by living the perfect, obedient life. Only Jesus has pleased God by absorbing his wrath towards sin. Only Jesus has pleased God by bringing the children of God to unity with their Father for eternity. You cannot presume to please God with your worship unless you worship God through faith in his Son, Jesus. And for those of us who have trusted Jesus, if we want to please God, we have to live our lives through Christ. Jesus alone has made our worship acceptable to God. And since we are called to worship continually with our whole lives, nonstop, it's fair to say Jesus alone is what has made your life acceptable to God. You know, we are not called to drag in an animal and sacrifice it on the altar. The Lord Jesus has already shed his blood for our redemption so that through him, the sacrifices that we offer are the sacrifices of praise. We give thanks to his name. We do good. We share with others. All of these are acts of worship done through Jesus, which God finds pleasing. And so while assembling together is an act of worship, <laughs> this is not all that worship is. Y'all, if the ultimate purpose of your life is to worship, how sad would it be that the ultimate thing that you can do with your life is only limited to one little time and place here every week? You can live the fulfilled ultimate purpose of your life every moment of every day as you worship God continually through praising his name and doing good and sharing with others. The church should come together and worship God as an act of giving to him. And then as we disperse out into the community, our worship continues. As we take with us sacrifices of praise to God, lips that are giving thanks to God, kindness and generosity towards others, which is the means of glorifying God. So y'all, we have, we have come to the end of our worship service and we will sing a song of praise to God. We'll use our lips to do that. But when we say the final amen, please do not let that be the end of our church's worship. We are to worship continually through Christ.